Though our world changes, God never does, and God's word is sufficient for our lives and faith during both brighter days and darker days like this one. And so we value reading God's word each Sunday, and we value what it means to us, and we allow it to be even taught to us through preaching. So this morning I want to read for us from Psalm 46. Um, It's a well-known psalm, and we'll spend just a few minutes considering what this has to say today to us, given our world and the state that we find ourselves in. Uh, If you don't have a Bible handy with you, you can click on the tab that says Bible on the platform and look up Psalm 46, and you can follow along with us that way. This is the one Sunday that we won't be able to tell if you're falling asleep or not, but we're trusting that you're following along with us. And I'll be reading from Psalm 46 from the ESV version. Psalm 46. Uh, just as you know, also the chat options available. Feel free to use that as we go through the service. Psalm 46 says this God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Join with me as we pray before diving in. All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers they fail, but the word of the Lord, it remains forever. The word of God is what we need for life and for faith, and we trust, O God, that you will use these words and these few minutes together to shape our hearts, to guide us to what is eternally true. By your Spirit, would you allow it to penetrate into our hearts and even affect how we live and think in this world today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from the 19th century, says these words, We never know what strength is until our own weakness drives us to trust omnipotence. We never understand how safe our refuge is until all other refuges fail. Spurgeon is right when he says that, and he spoke that in a different time. Uh, But no less is it important for us today because today you and I find ourselves in a moment in history in what feels like none other before for most of us. This is new territory and new ground for many of us. And without overstating it or without understating it, the situation we now find ourselves in, we are brought in this day and time, in this present moment, to places where the strength of our world is challenged where the wisdom of the smartest among us is not sufficient, where institutions and governments are at the mercy of changing news reports every hour, and each day the news changes, where even our own perceived strength is is 
revealed now to be weaker than we once thought. Be that strength of endurance, strength of what we have achieved and amassed over the years, or even the strength of our faith and our resolve to trust in God. For all of us, perhaps in different ways, once what felt stable now feels unstable, and it feels shaky and uncertain. And so Seven Mile Road and anyone else who is tuning in and listening in, do you find yourself this day in trouble? Do you find yourself today in trouble? If so, Psalm 46 is for you. It's for me. Because Psalm 46 is given to those and for those who find themselves in trouble. And it's not just trouble like getting a flat tire one morning or having a leaky roof one day when you find out. Now, this is the kind of trouble, like when your world seems to be falling apart. This is the kind of trouble that Psalm 46 speaks to, when there's global uncertainty of what tomorrow holds. Listen to how the psalmist describes this trouble in verse 2 of Psalm 46. He says, The earth gives way. The mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. The waters roar and foam. The mountains, they tremble. In quite literal terms, Psalm 46 describes the world falling apart at its seams, at its foundation. This is a global catastrophe turning the world upside down. The earth, it's quaking. There is a storm violently raging. And listen, there's nowhere to escape to. There's nowhere to run away to and hide. This is affecting the world. Though our mountains as it says in Psalm 46, though our very mountains may not be shaking or our waters raging, these past few days have felt like the earth beneath our feet is slowly shifting and that it's moving apart. Because every day, you and I, perhaps even this day, hear of new closures and rising death rates and the ratio seems to fluctuate. Our nation itself, just a couple of days ago, declared a state of emergency. Now entire countries are on lockdown, restricted from many of the normal activities that they were used to. There's literally nowhere on the planet right now to run to, to fly to, to hide from what's happening in our world. Our world feels like Psalm 46, a bit like a world that's falling apart. But in these kinds of unstable days when we desire security more than anything, where we desire to feel safe in our world, look back to how verse 2 begins. Verse 2 begins, Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Psalm 46 is a song that is sung by God's church. This psalm is saying that the church, God's people, will not fear. Listen, this psalm is saying that though the world around them and you and I is falling apart, we will not fear. Why? How? What could help you and I not fear when everything around us is crumbling? When everything is uncertain, And every news report is frightening to hear and we block our ears even from hearing more because we cannot hold it in and contain it. Well, the therefore means that this fearlessness that Psalm 46 speaks of is built on something. 
The therefore means that it's not just in a vacuum. You're not fearing because of what it says in verse 1. Look with me to how this psalm begins. Perhaps the best way any sentence could begin. With what? The word God. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, and then it goes on. It's because of verse 1 that the response of verse 2 and 3 are possible. And consider this, it's not just that God is a refuge, it's not that God is just strong and that God is helpful. Peace comes to us not only by what God is, not just knowing what God is, but peace comes to us but knowing what God is to me. Right? It's not just that God is a, a, a refuge, that God is strong, that God is helpful, but that He's all of these things to me. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my present help in trouble. This God, Seven Mile Road, and all those who are hearing, is our God. This God is our God. And God doesn't just take us to a refuge, right? The psalmist says that He is the refuge, He is our refuge. We take refuge in Him. We hide in Him. He doesn't just give us strength. He is our very strength. Because consider, as, as one pastor rightly puts it, when the earth beneath you is shifting, it doesn't matter how strong you are. You're not strong enough to hold your ground. When the, when the world's in catastrophe, it's not your strength that you look to. It's His strength. You need someone infinitely stronger to uphold you when chaos is abounding. And this God is our very present help in trouble. While you might feel that God is far during trouble, the scriptures point to God being especially near to his children when they are in trouble. I think at home for me, nine out of ten days, we find our little girl, Reagan, crawling in from her bedroom into ours and gets into bed into our room. She wants to feel in the middle of the night, most nights, the nearness and warmth of mom and dad when the night is dark, right? So she slowly creeps and tries not to make any noise and she stands at the foot of the bed waiting to be welcomed in to bed. And so also in times of trouble, the people of God want to feel the nearness of their heavenly father. When darkness looms and when the future is uncertain, we want to feel the nearness of the father. Listen, as we think about the world that we live in in this moment, it's not hard to see the coronavirus everywhere you look. It's, it's almost seemingly everywhere. When you walk outside, you're taking a double look at people. When you walk into the store, you're keeping three or six feet away from people. You're watching how you shake hands and which elbow you'll use and how you sanitize. Right? It's on the keyboard of my computer. It's in the air I breathe. It might as well be in my coffee mug and I have to disinfect it every time I go back to it. Right? It feels like everything is affected now. We sit here in this room, just a few of us, and we are thinking about how we are interacting right now. The whole world, even our very lives, the details of it, seem so affected by corona. So where do we run to? Where do we go to feel safe? God. He is our refuge. He is our safety. It's not hard to hear news, to go onto social media, to hear of a national emergency, that the death toll keeps rising, that more people are infected, and that there's no vaccine coming soon. 
making us feel utterly weak for this moment. Where do we go when we feel weak? God. He is our strength. It's not hard to not worry, right? It's very easy to fall into anxiety and worry. It's very easy to worry about elderly parents and relatives and friends, about your job security and the economy and what will happen six months from now, and to not feel completely helpless today. So where do we go when we feel helpless? To God. That's what Christians do. When we feel helpless, we go to God. When we feel unsafe, God is our refuge. When we feel like we have no strength, God is our strength. And when we feel helpless, He is our very present help in trouble. And so as this psalmist rehearses these truths of God, he goes on to describe this catastrophic picture in verses 2 to 3. And it's almost like the unmaking of the world, almost like a decreation. And the imagery he gives is of two things that you would think of as most stable in the world. You imagine the psalmist thought of the most stable thing that he could think, and he put it down on paper. He says, the earth beneath beneath your feet and the great, majestic, mighty mountains. Two stable things that you never would expect to be shifted and to move. But he is saying, he says this for a reason, he's saying in all of this, If all of this crumbles and gets thrown into the heart of the sea, we will not fear, for God is ours, and He is not moved. And the drastic imagery, almost unthinkable to even imagine with your eye, is given to communicate to you and I that there is nothing, there is nothing in the world that His power cannot conquer. Nothing you're experiencing now, nothing surely in the past, Nothing certainly in the future. Nothing to which his power is not too great to conquer. Here's another word from Spurgeon on this matter. He says this. If all the legions of the pit rushed forth in hosts innumerable as flying locusts, all armed to the teeth and eager for your blood, yet the Lord of hosts being with you, you would march through them as a man goes through a field of grass. Spurgeon goes on and says, Therefore we will not fear, for our God is mightier than all mysterious forces whatsoever. All of hell could be coming after you. All the world be torn apart. And yet you would be marching through all of that like you're just streaming and walking through fields of grass. Hear this. You and I will have fear in this life. That is that is a part of our, our, our brokenness and we, we don't always trust in God and we struggle to believe. But would you hear what place fear has in the life of the one who has God? If you have God, would you consider what the scriptures have to say of the place of fear in your life? Psalm 23.4 says this. It's a well-known psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. John 14.27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. And perhaps as some of you know, as the old song goes, 
What have I to dread? What have I to fear? For I am leaning on the everlasting arms of God. Safe and secure, I'm leaning on the everlasting arms of God. Our protection, right? Our protection is not just in better circumstances on this earth. Though we do pray that things get better and we pray that all of this goes away and that people get better and this virus is gone. Our protection is not in avoiding the problems around us, though we don't seek to make them worse. Our protection is in nothing and in no one else on earth, but our protection is in God and in God alone who has given us eternal, unaffected, guaranteed, eternal shelter forever with Him. That's where our hope is. That's where our protection comes from ultimately and eternally. More than all that we can do now, Our protection comes from the God who is our refuge, who is our shelter, our peace, our protection. As you get to verse 4, to the second stanza of this psalm, it's an odd transition when you consider the first three verses. The psalmist has gone from being a doomsday kind of a preacher, end of the world kind of scene where everything is going wrong. Now he shifts to a tranquil, serene, and perfect stream. Because here's what it says in verses 4 to 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's like the psalmist turns down the volume after verse 3 and goes from a mountain swallowed up by a raging sea to a completely sweet and serene river. Do you feel the tension? Do you feel the contrast of these two scenes? And do you ask why the contrast? Why has the psalmist suddenly turned down the volume of all that was going wrong in the world? What has happened in these verses? Has the scenery actually changed for the psalmist? Are the seas raging or is the river gentle? Are the mountains trembling or are they unmoved? It seems as if the psalmist is trying to show us something. Show us something of who a Christian is, what the posture of a Christian is. Because hear this, though the people of God live within the city of man, with chaos abounding, with natural disasters and with wars, with bodies that are decaying and susceptible to illness. The people of God, though they live in the city of man, also live in the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And there we shall not be moved. Though the earth gives way, though that mountains fall into the depths of the sea, we are not moved because though we live in the city of man, We live in the city of God. That is our eternal home. It's actually true now and it will be true forever. Because consider that verse 6 continues to show a dark picture. Right? It's not as if he's been transported into some other dimension or some other place. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. But what? With the voice of God, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts, the God of armies is with us. And this is a fortress that cannot be overtaken or conquered. 
Friends, you and I are of this world, and that's true. The scriptures call us to believe something that is also true in addition to that. C.S. Lewis puts it wonderfully when he says, but we were made for another world. It is true we are of this world, but you and I have desires and we have things within us. In fact, we were made for another world, a greater world, a perfect world, a, a world where God exists forever. And you and I are not ultimately given in by the changing tides of this one that we live in today. No one can get to God's people. Nothing. No one can get to God's people. We are secure in Him. There is no harm that can ultimately befall those who are in God. That is why in the darkest of days we can in confidence sing words like this. And we sang it this past week at a funeral. It is well with my soul though Satan should buffet and trials may come. It's why we can sing words like this. Though the, wor the world threatens to undo us, though all, all of hell and Satan threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. Or words like this, straight from the Scriptures and on our lips. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, the flame shall not harm you, for I, God, will never desert you to your foes. I'll never, no, never forsake you. In the final stanza of this psalm, the writer calls us to look forward. It's the first command in the psalm. But it's not a command to suddenly do something, do some kind of activity to be strengthened. The activity, the, the call, the command here that the psalmist gives is actually just to behold God just to lift your eyes and to behold the works of God. You and I come with nothing in our hand before God. He knows our frame. So would you behold what God does for you in the midst of this chaotic time that we live in? Reading from verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This last scene is sort of like looking at a battlefield after the war. After God does all of his work, it's sort of like you're looking into the future, seeing what will happen. If you are familiar with the Bible and you know of a book at the end of the Bible called Revelation, it's sort of like that. Because Revelation sort of functions to let us know today what will happen later. And it serves to show us that in the end, we are victorious. And though there's brokenness in the world today, in the end of all things, at the end of all days, we win. And we're on the side of God. Verse 9 starts off listing off the mighty power of the God who is with us. It says this. We'll read that in a moment. Verse 9 sort of lists off the future and present and what that means for our lives. One preacher puts it this way. When you consider these passages and when you consider the way that God fights, no one fights like God. Why? Because God doesn't fight fair. He doesn't fight very fair. Because look what he does in these verses. When you read these verses, he fights by destroying the weapons of the enemy so that the enemy cannot even begin to fight back. Would you notice that? He breaks the bow that could strike you from a distance. He shatters the spear 
that can impale you when you are near to them. He burns up the chariots that pursue you, and he burns them up with fire before they even have a chance to come near. God does not fight fair. He, he destroys the very weapons that the enemy uses to destroy us. But here's the thing about this. This is not the only scene where you see this. God has done this before. God has conquered the power of evil in this world by removing its very power. Hear that. God has destroyed the very weapon that destroys us ultimately by removing it from them. Because ask the question, why do you and I who are in Christ have access to God? Why are we protected by our Father? Why in the midst of chaos and turmoil and uncertainty and global pandemic with death looming at the doorstep, can you and I have the audacity to say that you and I know for sure that we are safe and secure in the arms of God? Why do we get to say that? Because the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, was put to death once for all. And see what God does. It is through the death of the Son of God that he defeats the power of death over us. It's through death that death is conquered. It's by the death of Jesus Christ that our own death no longer has power over us. And Jesus Christ is no longer dead. But you and I believe that he is risen, that there is an empty tomb. The very power that raised Christ from the dead has raised us up to life in him and will one day raise up these mortal bodies, these physical bodies from death to life. So if you are in Christ, death has no power over us. The very sting of death has been removed. The chaos of this world has no eternal hold on you. It's difficult, it's trying, it's, it's awful to experience at times. But ultimately, death has no power over those who are in Christ. It'll never separate you from the love of Christ. It'll never be able to be removed from you. God's grip on us is strong, even through the worst of days. And what's more, you are brought into a kingdom. You are brought into the eternal city of God, which can never, ever be thwarted. It can never be shaken. It can never be destroyed by any external enemy, any external threat to us. It will never be removed from you. The gates of hell shall not scale its walls and prevail. No disease will ever enter in and destroy it. No famine, no sorrow, no hopelessness will ever find a home there. And that's the kingdom where you and I, who are in Christ, reside. It's why in verse 10, the psalmist says, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God here is saying two things. God is telling his enemies, would you note, note the context. He's telling his enemies, be still. Know that I am God. I imagine, it's one thing for you to hear, be still. Know that I'm God. But for, for, for your defender, for your warrior, for your savior to look at all that threatens you and say, be still. Like a lion over his kingdom saying, be still. I am God. There is no victory you will ever have over my church and my people. 
There is no disease or threat or event that can ever separate them from me. Be still, I am God, and I will be exalted forever through my faithfulness to them. He's the God of Jacob. He's our fortress. But God is also telling you who are in Christ, be still. Be still. It's not just to meditate and to feel good about yourself. He's saying, be still. Know that I am God. Be still. Stop trying to fight for yourself. Stop trying to make everything work out. I am God. I am the one who fights for you and will bring you safe to shore. You need not worry. You need not fear. For I have conquered all things. For those of us who trust in Christ, the threat of death and chaos in this world is swallowed up by the eternal life secured for us in Christ. Believe that. Believe that today. What can this world do to us, friends? I know I've mentioned Spurgeon a lot, but he's really spoken to my heart this week as I've considered this passage. Here are these last words from Spurgeon. He says, If some calamity or illness or tragedy were to befall us, I smile as I think that the worst thing that could happen would be the best thing that could happen. The worst of all is the best of all for those who are in Christ. The worst thing that could happen to you, think of where we are, the worst thing is the best thing as well that could happen to you and I. So as we close, if you're in Christ, you have refuge not just for today, but forever. You can be sure of it because of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God, to him who has given himself for us so that we might have a home for God, with God forever. If you're not in Christ this day, if you're listening to this and you don't put your hope in Christ, if you don't know him as Savior, uh, my, my question to you is simply this. Where do you find peace in this chaos? Where do you turn to? Where do you put your hope? What happens when all around you seems unsteady and broken? I plead with you to allow the moment you find yourself in today and in this time in history to be a moment where you might meet Jesus Christ. Allow the moment that you find yourself in today, as you listen to this, to perhaps be the moment where you meet Christ. He desires not to just save you from the body, from the disease of the body, from the decay of the body, but he gave his own life to save you from the disease of my soul and your soul and the souls of all those who exist if you'd like to know more about who Jesus is, we would love to tell you more about who he is. And so please, again, you can utilize the private prayer option on the platform. Ask us about who he is. Ask us to pray for you. We would love to follow up and talk with you more about who Jesus is. He loves you more than you could ever know, and he desires to save you. And he requires nothing of you but repentance and faith. And so take him, all of us. Let's take Jesus as our refuge, as our shelter, as our help in trouble. We want to close off this section of our service by taking some time to pray. We want to pray specific things together. Perhaps where you're gathered, we'll pray here as well for three ways that God might help us to apply this word to our hearts. We'll pray three ways today. The first thing that we're going to pray about is to allow even this moment for you to lay your anxieties, your fears before God. Don't qualify them. Don't try to fix them. Just say them to God. Um, he cares for you. In fact, uh, in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says just that, that God's word says that he desires for you to cast all of your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. 
He desires you to unload and to let him know what you're thinking and feeling. He doesn't condemn you for your fear. He's gracious to us when we are anxious. And so it might be anxiety or fear around health, perhaps uh, the economy and your job of others, um, or anything that you can think of. Cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. And let's pray that now. Second, let's take some time to ask God to allow your fear to be met with faith in God. Psalm 56.3 says this. simply says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Uh, your heart, my heart, they're often slow to believe, and God gives us grace in those moments to believe. Let's ask Him to do that, to turn our fear into faith and trust in Him. Let's ask Him to believe that He is our refuge, that he is our shelter, that he is our protection, that he is our help in time of trouble. Let's ask that he would do that even now. Lastly, let's ask God <clears throat> to move us from fear to faith to freedom. Uh, freedom from our fear and even so that we might be free to love others during this dark season. Uh, it's easy as we have lots of concerns and anxieties on our minds to sort of insulate entirely and to forget about the world around us and to forget about the opportunity that we actually have to be a light in darkness and to be hope in anxiety and despair with the world around us. So here's an opportunity for us to ask that God would provide us opportunities to love our friends and family, to love our neighbors and to love our coworkers who are near, even strangers and church family around us who are in need. Consider whom Jesus calls blessed in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. 
When I was in prison, you came to me. So let's ask God, even through the very words of Jesus, what it is to mean to be blessed, even in times of chaos and trial. Let's ask God to make us go from fear to faith to freedom to be able to love others. Let's pray that now. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that you have for us. And that even at great cost to yourself, you came into a world that was entirely broken, that was full of chaos, was diseased, not just physically, but spiritually, eternally doomed and without any hope. You being perfect came into that which was imperfect. And in love, you pursued us, you pursued your own death for us so that we might have life. And we thank you for that. We thank you that that is accomplished for us. The opportunity to be made right with God, for him to be our father, for us to have shelter and refuge for all of eternity. We pray that as our fears are met with faith, that you would cause our faith to free us to love others. Perfect love casts out fear. And so we pray that we would be motivated and driven by the gospel that has been given to us to be able to go out into our world and to love and to care and to be present in a real and tangible way to people who are in need. Help us with all of this, we pray. And help us even now as we continue to sing and proclaim what is true. Help our hearts to believe. It's in Christ's name that we pray.